Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I'm your host, LD, along with you for the ride. As always, is Will the Thrill. Greetings and salutations. That's just me opening my my Yeti, and I have water in it. Very nice. You stay hydrated. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, we have our storyteller today, <laughs> TJ Two the Deuce. I guess you think that was just a sip, correct? Sipping his. Mm-hmm. Drink. <laughs> yeah, I'm still sipping the uh, same beer as in part uh, Tammy Part One. It's it's been sitting here for a week. <laughs> One whole week. It's really stale and nasty. At this point. It's the but, illusion um, of yes. recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're not. To, we're not. We're not totally pig piling like five of these in one day. What? Exactly. Nope. 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 Not us. Not at all. I would like to go ahead and take the time out to let you guys know that uh, we did have a passing. Of course, this is. We recorded this very far into the future, and I do believe that we have already posted this on our social medias. If not, I will remedy that very quickly. But we did have a rapper that was named Sad Frosty, and he did pass away. He was trending on Twitter uh, when we took a break. So, uh, But everything that I've seen about him, I did not know him personally. Uh, He was part of a movement that was happening in 2018, and it looks to be like he was just loved by the community. Everything I have been seeing has been just rest in peace. I talked to you yesterday. You were incredible. Rest in peace. You had such a great energy. You know, I can't believe this is happening. It's just He was taken too soon. So, you know, we send our condolences to the uh, family and to the fans and friends of Sad Frosty. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in, you know, I guess happier news, T, you asked a question to me last week or you know, an hour and a half ago, depending on the right. magic of the right. episode. The magic of recording. You actually asked me about the Dolly Parton lookalike contest. That she supposedly once entered and lost, yes. Yes, it was not actually a Dolly Parton lookalike contest. Okay. What it was, was she entered a drag queen celebrity impersonator contest. Ah. Oh. Uh, without revealing who she actually was. They had a bunch of shares and a bunch of dollies that year. So she just over-exaggerated her makeup, made her beauty mark bigger, the eyes bigger, the hair bigger, she told uh, ABC. And apparently she lost. Lost. <laughs> yep. She was a, she entered a drag queen contest and lost. Well, 
to a man. <laughs> yes. Well, we do know what we know about the the culture of, of drag queen is they take it very seriously. Oh yeah. Well, I, I mean, mean, you've got yeah, you got RuPaul's Drag Race, mm-hmm. which I can only assume was like almost impossible to cast as a casting producer myself. I can't even imagine. It probably was impossible to cast the first season, and once the dam broke, like mm-hmm. they probably get hundreds, if not thousands, of submissions. You know, oh god, I would kill to be the casting producer on that show. <laughs> so there's just some dream shows that you work on. And you're like, man, I really wish I could work on that. Like, I want to work on So You Think You Can Dance. I want to work on RuPaul's Drag Race. And I think it would be really fun to work on Love is Blind, even though it's a dating show and I have a, a strict policy against working on dating shows. I cannot do dating shows. I would like to, uh, I'd like to be on a, uh, something with the Muppets. I don't, I don't know awesome. if that's like a reality that show. That would be my dream. It's real. I mean, they, it's, they went to Manhattan. They went, I mean. I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. They're, they're fun, I, I guess. Uh, puppets freak me out anyway. I was never. They're Muppets, not puppets. They're Muppets. Sorry, yeah. there's a distinction there. They're not puppets. They are. Truth. Muppets. Why are they not puppets? Because they're... it's part marionette, part puppet. Hence the term Muppet. Okay, well, this thing has somebody's hand up its ass and arguing with a rock. So, like, where, what am I supposed to do? Like, you leave me there. You, you know what? You know what's funny is I just said the Muppets thing to be goofy. And I forgot that there's actually a Muppets reference in this episode. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, let's let's actually jump into the episode. Yeah. Who yes. are we continuing to talk about today? So this is uh, Tammy Wynette, part two. Two. Dose. So right up at the top of the show, I'm going to pass it over to T really quickly because this episode will come with a warning. TJ. What do we have this week? Unfortunately, we do have some depictions of sexual exploitation, domestic violence, and substance abuse. So if those are things that upset you or you don't want to hear about or they trigger you in some way, we completely understand. But this is probably an episode that you need to skip. Yeah. So uh, if, if, like my brother said, if this is something that does upset you, please tune in next week which will also be coming with a warning but it'll be coming with different warnings and so So don't listen next week at all (laughs) (laughs) next two weeks off in uh part one of our series on tammy Wynette, we talked about the singer's improbable rise from a literal dirt poor farming family and virtual child bride she was married when she was 17 and had her first child shortly thereafter who had three kids and a divorce on her resume by the age of 24 to a budding country music superstar. Now, we also told you that in her case, art frequently imitated life. She said she had to live a country song to sing. So with that in mind, we're actually going to take a very early pause for our first musical break of this episode. In 1967, Tammy released two albums. One was her own, Your Good Girl's Gonna Go Bad, but she also released a duets album with David Houston. When she was a kid picking cotton in the sweat box that was a Mississippi cotton field, Tammy dreamed of singing with her country idols and of becoming one herself. She had what seemed like elusive dreams that came true. So we're going to hear Tammy and David Houston with the song, My Elusive Dreams. I followed you to Texas. I followed you. We didn't find it there, so we moved on. I followed you to Alabama. Things look good in Birmingham. We 
We didn't find it there, so we moved on. I know you're tired of following my lucid dreams and schemes, for they're only fleeting things, my lucid dreams. I had you, child, in Memphis. You heard of work in Nashville. We didn't find it there, so we moved on to a small farm in Nebraska, to a gold mine in Alaska. We didn't find it there, so we moved on. And now we've left Alaska because there was no gold mine. But this time, only two of us moves on. David Houston with My Elusive Dreams. Uh, now, had, had you heard that one before, LD? Uh, no, I had not heard this one, but I was okay. reading some of the comments, and this, this, this guy is apparently living his best life. <laughs> he actually wrote, his name is Dennis Troy, he said, I sang one song with Tammy in my hometown. People wanted to hear Elusive Dreams, and she told the audience, but I don't have a partner. Well, by God, I jump up and sang David Houston's part. It was a hit, and I have a photo to prove it. God bless Tammy always for making the dream come true, even for a few minutes. She was and always will be the first first lady of country music. So that's really sweet. Yeah, but I, I actually really, I there was only one part that I didn't like, and it almost sounded like a weird cut with a key change. Yeah. And it's the only part I didn't like of the song because it kind of threw you off for a second because your brain's got to go, what key change. And yeah, but but other than that, I thought it was great. And he's got a great voice, like almost like a rugged cowboy voice, like the country voice. That was interesting because that song seemed more indicative of that time period, you know, late 60s country. And I could totally label it as that. Whereas Apartment 9, which we played in the last episode, was almost out of time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because the, yeah. Uh, to me, what we just heard, it's a good song, but that is very indicative of what I think people call country politan, where you took these country artists and you sort of 
sweeten things up with lots of background singers and some strings and keyboards and well not keyboards pianos at this point but you but but you know what i'm saying that like they made it very cosmopolitan you know they could it was trying to make it a little more ear pleasing than you know than hillbilly squawking about taters in the garden or whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. which if you've never heard the if you've never heard the uh the masterwork fried taters i, I i'm not making it up that's a real song taters. Um, Fried taters, fried taters. I eat them all the time. Taters. Taters. <laughs> oh, that's that a story is, for another time. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Um, so that song was the follow-up to Tammy's number three hit, Your Good Girl's Gonna Go Bad, and it became her first number one country hit. And in a real rarity for the time, that song also made it onto the Pop Hot 100 chart, reaching number 89. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it was something of a warning shot to the musical world that a new star was rising as it started a staggering string of hits, a stretch where Tammy would have nine of her next 11 releases reach number one on the country charts. Holy monkey. Yes. Um, now, as well as things seem to be going for Tammy professionally, they were equally bad for her in terms of her personal life. We mentioned in our last episode that she had married a songwriter who was supporting himself as a night clerk at a hotel named Don Chapel. Once she had her first hit, Chapel not only insisted they go on the road as a package deal, but that he get top billing despite the fact that she was the one with the budding career and an actual hit to her credit. In truth, she didn't love him. She admitted as much later. And the union seemed born of the fact that her friends, she needed or craved some sort of companionship and the comfort that that provided. The marriage did lead to an important relationship for Tammy, that being with a fellow country singer named Jones, Hmm. George Jones. Now, he was an already established superstar, having released his first singles in 1954 and his first big hit, Why Baby Why, in 1955. Tammy had actually idolized George Jones from the first time she ever heard him, and as a young teenager, had fantasized about meeting him and performing with him. Chapel had written a song that Jones recorded, and the two became casual friends as a result. That opened the door for Tammy and Jones, as she called him, to not only meet, but to begin playing shows together. Even when they were not sharing a bill, Jones began to show up at many of Tammy's shows. Now, Chapel really didn't think much of it since he and Jones and Tammy were friends. Uh, the possum's appearances may have been partly due to his appreciation of her singing and performances, but there was something else going on. Jones was becoming quite smitten with Tammy. Oh my. And those feelings started to be reciprocated. She had put George Jones on a pedestal for years, but she started to see him more as a person and less as an idol. On one occasion, for whatever reason, David Houston refused to go on stage with Tammy to perform their hit that we just heard, My Lucid Dreams. So Jones acted as a stand-in, becoming her duet partner for the night. In another instance, Tammy's band, again, for whatever reason, bailed on her for a performance. So Jones instructed his band to back her that night. When all three of Tammy's children contracted food poisoning and had to be hospitalized, With her husband unavailable, it was Jones who came to the hospital to comfort Tammy. Quote, he was everything I wanted in a man. He was so wonderful and so tenderhearted, Tammy said, and he will give you everything he's got. Things with Don were not going well, and he and Tammy fought almost constantly. They were about to get considerably worse, however. Unbeknownst to Tammy, Don had developed an interest in photography, though not in a very positive or productive way. He developed a bad habit of taking pictures of Tammy without her knowledge while she was getting out of the shower or changing her clothes. Oh, no. Gross. 
Unfortunately, they were not just for his own use, which would be creepy enough, as he began to swap the pictures with other men whose names he found in porn magazines. Wow, gross. Yes, so taking pictures of naked pictures of his wife and trading them to whoever in M.R. Biggins magazine. <laughs> Whoever's name he found. Exactly. It's creepy and nasty. Like yeah. their baseball cards. That's horrible. All of this, unfortunately, came to Tammy's attention in the worst way possible one night when she was presented with the entire collection of pictures by a fan after a concert. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. She had been exploited, humiliated, and completely betrayed. She knew the marriage was over. It was just a matter of how that was going to manifest itself. As was always the case. Yeah, though, you the manifest that being... by putting your fist in his ass. Yeah, just what he turned, yeah. Yeah, I think that would probably be uh, the preferred method. Uh, what I'm going to do is shove um, my fist up your butt, right in, right in your old crap hatch. Just take know. a beer bottle, break it, and shove it right in there, and then yeah. see how and see how long he wants to stay married but, to you. Based on some of his proclivities, he may have enjoyed that. Who knows? Now he might have liked that. I'm going to take some rusty barbed wire. Awesome. I'm going to I'm going to uh, run some rusty barbed wire right up the old Cadbury Canal there, Don. Oh, that is Cadbury Canal. Yeah, 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 and here we go. It's not Easter yet, but when are they going to start? Like, speak. Sorry, speaking of which, when do you get the Cadbury cream eggs? That's your segue. (laughs) He said Cadbury Canal. It just sounds like a fantastic river of nothing but the eggs. Given the subject matter, that's not what I was thinking. Wait, mom hates Cadbury cream eggs. Do you hate Cadbury cream eggs too? I love them. Love (laughs) them. Love mom likes. Now I do not now. Don't don't no do not bring no nasty peeps in my direction. But Cadbury eggs were good. Mom is obsessed with peeps, and I I hate them so much. You know what you do to peeps? You put them <laughs> in the microwave, and you you sit them up like far enough apart where they're not touching, and then you 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 stick um little toothpicks inside of them, and then you have what's called a peep or You turn the microwave on, they get really big, and see which one stabs each other first peep combat yes yeah, peep combat people are people I, I also remember when you were about three you ate an entire box of the pink ones and then you almost immediately yacked them all up oh i i remember into a big nasty discolored goopy pyramid on our carpet that's what i would expect are you eat sure a i'm a peeps. person and not a cat <laughs> eh. it was great oh my god um now as was always the case, there seemed to be a sad country song that dealt with every pain. What are we but... talking about? <laughs> okay, well, just to catch everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile. I'm sorry for these right. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the motel. Oh, okay, so oh. creepy picture, oh. marriage over. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, yes, Don was taking uh, picture, naked pictures of Tammy when she didn't know it and was swapping them with dudes whose name he found in porn magazines now my question is how was he taking the photos because cameras then were like they weren't like yeah. now where you just like it was like kachonk you had to hold up that giant you had to hold up that giant scoop of flash powder yeah how was he doing this i mean doing it on the like where it took well first of all it took like 30 minutes for to actually take a picture i think like if everybody had to line up okay you can't move don't move don't move kids 
Well, that's why that's why they only took pictures of dead people for a really long time. Right. But but then again, he couldn't also go to like the Walgreens and have them developed. He probably did it at home, right? Yeah, and how are you gonna hide a dark room? Yeah, you can't hide that, nor the contents thereof. There's so many questions. I have, oh, wow. Oh, okay. Proceed. Okay, you proceed, sir. Uh, as I was saying, as was almost always the case with Tammy, though, there seemed to be a sad country song that dealt with every pain and heartbreak she dealt with. The follow-up to My Elusive Dreams would become Tammy's first solo number one hit. It dealt with a broken marriage and how it impacts children. Ones who decide that after watching their parents playing, uh, after watching their parents playing house doesn't seem like such a fun game. So we're going to pause right here and listen to that song. This had a three-week run atop the country charts and eventually won Tammy her first Grammy Award for Best Female Country Vocal Performance. This is Tammy and I Don't Want to Play House. Today I sat alone at the window And I watched our little girl outside at play With the little boy next door Like so many times before But something didn't seem quite right today So I went outside to see what they were doing I heard him name again And I hung my head in shame When I heard our little girl say to him Here's the thing. Yes. Her music is never sunshine and rainbows. Nope. (laughs) It gets worse. But this is the... She'll make me drink. This is sad. Yeah. Apartment 9 was pretty sad, but we're we're definitely continuing down that dark corridor. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't... Musically, it it really doesn't... You're right. There's a little sunshine and happiness and mirth, but I mean... 
it's few and far between. Boy. She and, and I was actually going to say before you, you pointed that out, like she, Tammy was not afraid to go for the emotional kill shot in a song. Clearly not. Hobbs. Because that one is, I mean, it's a good song, but damn. That's a tough it's one. A song, but it's so friggin' <clears throat> sad. Tremendously so. Now, the end of Tammy's marriage, which we, we knew was coming, I think LD said you would have given him a good rooting up the duker with a backhoe or something. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever yeah. it was. Um, it came suddenly and rather unexpectedly. Now, Tammy and Don, who are obviously not on very good terms at this point, invited George Jones over to their house for dinner. But the two of them got in a heated argument shortly after they arrived, or after Jones arrived. Eventually, Chapel allegedly got louder, more profane, and called his wife, quote, a son of a bitch. Hmm. Jones, yeah, that's what Don Chapel called Tammy. He apparently called her a son of a bitch. Jones, who admitted to have ha having had um, a few too many drinks before arriving, said, quote, I felt rage fly all over me. I jumped up from my chair, put my hands under the dinner table, and flipped it over. <laughs> he flipped it over onto chapel. When the stunned husband asked exactly, quote, what in the hell is going on, Jones told him, well, I love her, and I think she loves me too. Don't you, Tammy? Yes, well, she said. Yeah. Hello, so, Field. <laughs> yeah. So literally, like a scene out of a movie, Jones swept Tammy into his arms. They walked out out of the house, leaving Don behind, got into his car, and rode off into the night together, bound for Mexico to get a quickie divorce. Wow! That would end Tom, uh, Tammy's not-at-all-blissful marriage to Chapel. Well, at least, the last? I mean, at least he's got pictures, I guess. <laughs> really? What? That's the word? He's got something to remember about. <laughs> and so do the other people that he was trading. Right. Yes, he's got... Unbelievable. Grim. Yeah, how does that work? Uh, back in the day, like, you, you, you probably didn't have multiple copies of your pictures did you maybe he did I don't uh, know. you can't actually like if you've got the negative yeah you can make multiple pictures uh, what have you got to remember tammy by well uh some pictures of a naked chick named diane from minnesota <laughs> right i swapped <laughs> swap some tammy pics for it for her she's not bad looking gotcha. um, now the story i just laid out for you is one that you will consistently read and hear about the moment that the legendary relationship between jones and tammy began with Tammy herself also offering up that Jones additionally threw a living room chair through a window. Jones said on CMT's Inside Fame, however, that things actually started a little bit earlier than that. Sometime after Tammy learned about her husband's sketchy photography proclivities, but before the definitive profession of love in the living room after Chapel called her a son of a bitch, Jones said that he made his move. After a concert, Jones approached Tammy's road manager, quote, slip the word to her. I know she's married, but I love her still, Jones said, borrowing the line appropriately enough from an old country song. Quote, so I was feeling her out, and it wasn't but about 20 minutes she was over at the bus. So you can kind of read into that what you'd like to. Mm -hmm. uh, Tammy's biographer, Joan Dew, said it was like a white knight had ridden in to rescue her on his steed, except, quote, instead of a white horse, he was in a burgundy Cadillac, and he didn't have on armor. He was wearing cowboy boots. Now, as we detailed a short time later, Jones exhibited a number of very sweet and very endearing qualities. However, there was another side to him. Like Tammy, he was um, just about to the end of his second marriage. Unlike Tammy, though, Jones had a legendary thirst for alcohol. In 1967, Jones was reportedly admitted into a neurological hospital seeking treatment for drinking and amphetamine use. 
In coming years, he added cocaine to his menu, and he would get so out of his mind at times, he would have arguments with himself using two distinctly different voices, characters, and personalities. One he called the old man, and the other was, quote, the duck that would just feature him talking like Donald Duck. And the old man and and the duck would argue with one another. Wow. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh at that, but like when I used to get, when I got drunk, uh, I would have a character called Hando. Now, Hando never said anything, but it was just my hand. And my hand would look confused. Kind of like a sock puppet. Yeah, it's like a sock puppet, but the puppet never talked. It just looked at you funny. And that was my drunk character. That that was was my, my, my my drunk side quest, I guess. Yeah. I ever came in college was I had an alter ego and remember AOL online chat? You got yeah. mad? Yeah, I used to have a chat and I would go on there after I got a little tuned up under the name Dr. Garbanzo. Huh. Uh, I used to go on a message board and my name was Lil Deacon. <laughs> you guys are on a completely different yeah, drug yeah, level than me. You guys were. <laughs> I, I was social. I was at least in the presence of people with my weird hand puppet. Right. You guys went on like AOL and yep. started arguments with 14 year olds. Yep, sure did. And that's that's how we're panned out. Yeah. All right, so yes, yes. Many of them ended up on the business end of the of the silver tongue of Lil Deacon. <laughs> okay, is that your rap name too? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That, it doubles as my rap name. Not not mine. Doctor no. Garbanzo is not a good rap name. No, it's not. Hando is not a terrible. No, one for Hando is there's there's worse ones than Hando. I'm gonna tell you. Yeah. If you put like Lil or MC or something in there. Yo, yeah. I'm a little Hando and I'm here to say, see, no, um, because never, well, that happened. Casey, Hando never talked. <laughs> well, okay. So Jones would eventually <laughs> end up living in a car weighing less than 100 pounds and being debt by over a million dollars. Holy but crap. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When did this happen? This is later. Okay. later. And his friends, Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash would actually kind of, float him loans and give him financial assistance to get him out of that state but but that's that's a little ways down the road still music writer and historian robert k orman said he thinks that tammy believed that she could fix jones and at least initially oh, no. he he yeah no you yeah, can't no, but never, never try to fix a man he did clean up his act a bit and curtail his bad habits by the way both tammy and jones had their second marriages legally ended in 1968 her life story again seemed to intersect with her work she had her fourth number one hit that year, one that seems to spell things out perfectly. Hey, uh, this is Tammy Wynette with D-I-V-O-R-C-E. Which is kind of in the, before I play this, that's kind of in the sense what our modern day Taylor Swift does. Spell things out. No, not spell things out. Just, you know what I did? Yeah, okay. Spell it out, is four years old and quite a little man so we spell out the words we don't want him to understand like t-o-y or maybe s-u-r-p-r-i-s-e but the words we're hiding from him the heart right now 
man. Bless. Yes, emotional punch right in the gut. I mean, that, that, song, that song is just, it's fire. I mean, it's so, so well written. It is. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Some by almost anybody else, it would seem overall. But for some reason, when Tammy sings it, you believe it. Yeah. And it's almost anybody else, you'd be like, oh, God, come on. But for some reason, when Tammy sings it, it's believable. And not everybody could, very few, very few people could pull it off. So what I was saying before is like the, the, I think the person that would be like the modern day equivalent to the songwriter that Tammy Wynette was would be Taylor Swift because right. she takes, you know, things that she's been through and turns them into songs to the point where like she's been mocked for this, which I don't think she should be. You write about what you know and she, everything she does, she fire. Sure. You know? Yeah. Right. And, exactly. And I think Tammy Wynette is a great example of like, if you write what you know, it's going to hit really hard. And this just sound, you, you hear the pain in her voice. Yeah. yeah. Unfiltered pain. Yeah. And it's, I hate to say it's great, but I mean. It is. Great. But it is. Yeah. Hey, TJ, we have to take a short sponsor break. Are you okay with that? Absolutely, Chairman. All right. And we're back. We are back to the rest of the life and times of the late, great Tammy Wynette. Now, a couple of things happened in 1969. Early that year, Tammy and Jones married, and he adopted her three daughters from her first marriage. Also, in what I believe qualifies as a fun fact, fun fact, Tammy renewed her cosmetology license. Oh, interesting. Why would maybe, she do that? She's Well, maybe it was her practical side, or maybe it spoke to the tiny bit of insecurity she had inside, but Tammy would continue to renew her cosmetology license every year for almost the entire rest of her life. Hmm. Wow. Um, in her mind, too, in the words of uh, music writer Peter Cooper, quote, have something to fall back on in case that whole music thing didn't work out. <laughs> now, keep in mind, she had four number one hits, a Grammy, and had been named the CMA Female Vocalist of the Year already, and she would win that three straight times. So, um, yeah, I don't think also, you get that cosmetology license, sweetheart. Also in 1969, uh, that was the occasion of the UK hit single Ragamuffin Man by Manfred Mann, who would later front Manfred Mann's <laughs> Man. <laughs> I will say 1969 was a really interesting year in music. Like just knowing that we just lost Michael Lang, mm. who was the promoter for Woodstock. Right. Uh, you know, this, this, this is a big moment of social change within, sure. within not just the music scene, but as in the world as it is. And so to have her create music like this in 1969 is really interesting because it seemed like, and now this this might be me painting broad strokes, but you had like the the liberal, uh, democratic side that were you know doing Woodstock, and then you had Tammy Wynette with songs like Divorce and what we're going to hear later on, almost like holding on to those golden years. Well, well, hold that thought for just one second after we after we um, tell everybody that the uh, federally mandated Manfred Man's Earth Band reference to the podcast has been satisfied. I think you just did that. Part of the way that Tammy was able to keep Jones on the straight and narrow, at least for a while, was to move. She got him to separate himself from his Nashville drinking buddies by moving into a plantation house in Lakelands, Florida. Jones wow. actually had the idea that he would eventually renovate the grounds into something of a music ranch where he could record and play concerts, something that he would do with a very limited scope of success. Still, 
anything that kept Jones busy and off the bottle was a good thing. That didn't always happen, however. Now, George Jones is the subject of one of the most legendary epic drinking stories in the history of booze. But there are actually two distinct versions of the story. In his autobiography, Jones recounted that his second wife, Shirley, in in an attempt to keep him from driving to Beaumont when the couple lived in Texas, where he would drink and carouse, took his car keys. She knew he would not walk the eight miles to town, so she took his car keys and hid them, but he found a go-around. Quote, there, gleaming in the glow, was that 10-horsepower rotary engine under a seat, a key glistening in the ignition. I imagine the top speed for that old mower was about five miles per hour. It might have taken an hour and a half or more for me to get to the liquor store, but get there, I did, John. <laughs> wow. Uh, did you know, uh, real quick side trip, did you know in Myrtle Beach you can actually go to jail for driving a go-kart drunk? Really? How do you know this? Uh, my friend Josh got pinched. You went to jail? Yeah. Wow. Got a, D, got a DUI for driving a golf cart drunk on the golf course. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, if, if, if they uh, beefed up enforcement, they could uh, make quite a, quite a few arrests that way. Nobody in, would be playing. In Myrtle Beach? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, you'd have a bunch of empty golf courses, what you have. Yeah, exactly. Now, however, that's that's Jones's version of the story. However, in her autobiography, Tammy claimed that the incident occurred when she was married to George Jones, maintaining that she woke up at 1 a.m. one morning and noticed Jones was gone. She drove to the nearest bar, which was 10 miles away, and she found Jones's riding lawnmower parked by the entrance. She went inside, found Jones drunk. And said he announced, quote, well, fellas, here she is now, my little wife. I told you she'd come after me. It should be noted that a friend later said that Tammy did have a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. And she sometimes adopted other people's stories as her own. I mean, so, but what are there's, the there's clearly There's no doubt that the story is true. Jo- that Jones definitely rode a riding lawnmower <laughs> eight miles or ten miles <laughs> to buy booze. But what if he did it more than once? Like he did, it was like I got away with it this time. Let's try this again. And it, right, it could have happened more than one time, it, for sure. Um, that's um, wow. I wonder if he threw the blades on just to like make it look like he was doing something <laughs> down the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like like maybe he got over on the side of the road. Like no, I'm 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 mowing. Yeah, this is all good. Yeah. Or it was he like pink in her video for so what? Just drinking <laughs> while just yeah, drinking while on the lawnmower. I think he was out of booze. I think that's why he had to go fetch more. Now, right at this same time, Tammy would release the biggest hit of her entire career. The idea for the song had been bouncing around in the head of her producer, Billy Sherrill, for some time. Quote, I'd been working on a song for a year at least. I called it, I'll Stand By You or Please Stand By Me. I couldn't call it Stand By Me because Ben E. King had a hit called Stand By Me, Sherrill said. It was at this point that Tammy offered up one of the many odd juxtapositions of her career. She would simultaneously strike a blow for women while enraging many in the women's liberation movement. At this point, Nashville still only had a small ration of, quote, girl singers. And for the most part, they were pretty much handed songs and told what to sing. Now, a few artists, namely uh, namely Tammy and her friends Loretta and Dolly, were starting to change that perception and upset the apple cart by writing their own songs. Tammy would help Cheryl finish that song that he'd had an idea for, but had not been able to finish for over a year. She said that she was able to help him finish it up in about 20 minutes, by the way. (laughs) She was a co-writer and 
Clinton would write more and more of her songs as time went along, but her first one would become legendary. Interestingly, however, Tammy did not like the finished product, and she begged Cheryl not to release it. Quote, to me, it did not have a pretty melody. I didn't like it. I hated the high notes I had to hit, Tammy said. Now, Tammy also lacked a bit of confidence at that time in her songwriting ability. She would later say this particular song took 20 minutes to write and 20 years to defend. <laughs> uh, this particular song came out, as I said, at the height of the women's liberation movement, and many women saw it as a doormat song and viewed the woman who sang it as a traitor of some kind. Huh. Pat- Patricia Ireland, the former president of NOW, said on CMT's Inside Fame that a couple of lines in particular rubbed feminists the wrong way, especially quote, you'll have bad times, he'll have good times. She added, quote, and the notion that you'll forgive him because he's just a man. Now, Robert K. Orman said that that's not the case. He said, quote, she maintains and I maintain that that song is nothing about that, he said on A&E's biography. Quote, it's about loving someone. He said that she was a strong woman who lived and represented every single feminist ideal. We've talked a lot about the song now, so let's finally listen to it. This was number one on the country charts for three weeks, and it crossed over into the pop top 20. Tammy says it's about loving someone, and she deeply loved Jones, so she is once again setting her life to music. Here's Tammy Wynette and her classic, Stand By Your Man. Amazing song. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to be a woman Giving all your love to just one man You'll have bad times And he'll have good times Doing things that you don't understand But if you love him You'll forgive him Even though he's hard understand And if you love him I'll be proud of him Cause after all He's just a man
that is the loudest any of us have ever. I, I think so. Sang a song. Yeah. <laughs> LD was belting that bad boy. <laughs> oh my God. You know, uh, a little backstory about that. My mom has always wanted me to be a performer. Always. She, like I told you guys before, she would put me into the nursing homes and I would do dance and she put me into, you know, theaters and I would do plays and music and everything. So I was always in chorus and stuff. Stand By Your Man was the very first song my mother ever made me memorize. Wow. It's like, you are going to learn this song. And if you can learn this song, it means you're a really good singer. Mm. And so I learned that song and I'm not a very good singer. <laughs> you're well, and you know, I mentioned uh, that the there were some women who saw that as like almost a betrayal. This is like a doormat song or, or whatever. And, and Tammy manta maintains that's not what the song's about at all. It's just about loving somebody. But it didn't help that people who were resistant to, I think, women's lib kind of adopted it as their anthem and attached a meaning to it that Tammy never intended herself. So that was certainly a thing that happened. Looking back as a looking back now as a neo or proto or whatever feminist woman from 2001, whatever, guys, it's a song. Like it is not, it's fine if it's just a song. Like people get all worked up about baby, it's cold outside. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that song was written like 68 years ago. You can leave it alone. We are looking at it through a completely different lens. And and they were looking at it through that lens of the what year like 1969. Are we looking at it through that lens where women were, you know, having their women's movement and they were burning their bras and you know mm. it they they i mean yeah like i can understand how like those you know folks back then would be angry at it because the women were trying to make strides and strides and strides now i'm gonna get so much hate mail for this but the fact is i can listen to this and appreciate that it's just a song it doesn't right. have to have all any ulterior motives or meanings it's not a change is coming by sam cook it's not right. strange fruit you know it's not it's not meant to be a song to move mountains and make changes. It's a song about, you know, standing by your man, no matter what, yeah. you truly love him, just stand by him. And like, yeah, he's a screw up, but you know, and sure, men are. Grant, sure, now, sure, sure. He takes pictures right. of you when you get out of the shower and swaps them with guys. That, that's you not know, to stand by. Which is, yeah. which is weird uh, that, that she left that out of the song. Right. There might be a verse we didn't hear. I mean, yeah. it's possible. Now that song won Tammy her second Grammy. For best country vocal performance female obviously it was in, it was inducted into the grammy hall of fame in 1999 nice. and it was selected by the library of congress in 2010 for addition into the oh. national recording registry mm. it would appear along with a few other of tammy's songs in the 1970 movie five easy pieces which was nominated for an academy award it was also in the blues brothers the fourth protocol the crying game my cousin benny poetic justice sleepless in seattle Four Weddings and a Funeral, and GoldenEye, along with dozens of others. Holy cow. And here is a fun fact. Fun, fun fact. The song, was spoofed by, the song was spoofed by the Muppets <laughs> in a PSA encouraging people not to litter, featuring Oscar the Grouch, called Stand By Your Can. Wow. Wow. In its ranking of the 100 greatest country songs of all time, CMT put Stand By Your Man at number one. Yeah. I mean, that is the Tammy Wynette song. It's not like... That's that, that's definitive, and they but they ranked it as the number one country song period of all time. Fair, I yeah no. I, mean, it's, I, I don't see how you can argue it's certainly top ten. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would have that one number one necessarily, but it would be in the higher reaches of any oh, <laughs> of, of anybody's rankings, I would, I would presume. Now, it was right around this time that Tammy earned a very famous nickname, one that she would keep for the remainder of her career. You have probably heard her referred to as the First Lady of Country Music, and you figured that came about because she and Jones were like country royalty, sort of the king and queen of the genre. But that isn't exactly accurate. Tammy said that Cheryl greeted her one day in the studio by asking her how it felt to be, quote, the first lady. She didn't know what he was talking about. So he informed her that she had become the first lady in country music to sell a million copies of a record. Woo! Really? This is where you get into some music industry semantics. Technically, the I... <laughs> now I can't do it, uh, LD. The RIAA did not certify any of her early solo albums as platinum, though a 1969 Greatest Hits package was officially certified a million seller at some point later. That could be because a record company didn't submit her albums for authentication, or it could be because the music industry in general lowballed country sales at that time. Album charts were a highly inexact science and were in fact nothing more than a very unscientific poll of record stores until the advent of SoundScan in the early 1990s. In fact, the first certified platinum country album did not come along until the early 1970s, but you would have to be willfully ignorant to think that Hank Williams, George Jones, Johnny Cash, Tammy Wynette, Patsy Cline, and scores of others didn't have million sellers before then. Yeah. Um, and I would really probably lean more on believing the record company because they knew how many they were printing and shipping for sure. Yeah, you may not know how many were actually being sold in stores right that's um, when the data gets foggy you know right but so but anyway he told her that you know she that she sold a million or whatever um country had a huge audience at this point obviously and tammy's audience actually went beyond normal country parameters a lot of women from all areas of the country loved her because she wasn't just singing their lives she had lived the same life that they did her nickname by the way was solidified when she and Jones released the duet album, Me and the First Lady. Professionally, Tammy kept riding high, following Stand By Your Man with two more number one hits in 1969, that being Singing My Song and The Ways to Love a Man. She had two more in 1970 with He Loves Me All the Way and Run, Woman, Run. She and Jones were on the road together, and soon their family would be growing. That year, Tammy gave birth to the only child the couple had together, that being Pamela Georgette Jones. Cheryl sent a gift of a dozen roses and a signed record contract to the infant. Wow. <laughs> I guess figuring, hey, it's George and Tammy's kids. She's going to be a singer for sure. <laughs> Why not? Oh, yeah. Sent, sent a, a dozen roses and a signed record contract to uh, Tamala Georgette when she was an infant. Um, that wonderful event was unfortunately tempered by hospital stays for both Tammy and Jones. George had not just fallen off the wagon at this point. He'd actually been like run over by it and dragged a considerable distance down the road. He actually had to be put in a straitjacket and committed to a padded cell at the Watson Clinic for 10 days of hardcore detox. Wow. Tammy had to have both an emergency appendectomy and a hysterectomy. Surgeries would sadly become very commonplace for Tammy as she dealt with health problems the rest of her life. By some estimates, she would have more than 30 surgeries from this oh point to the end of her life. Uh, after the first round under the knife, uh, she was prescribed painkillers for the first time, something that would become a regular part of her life too, unfortunately. She would publicly admit to having a problem with painkillers in the 80s, 
and would later undergo treatment at the Betty Ford Clinic. But in a BBC documentary, one of her daughters said the problem started then, after that very first surgery uh, in the early 1970s, as she had scar tissue and lesions from her surgery that caused her crippling pain for the rest of her life. Tammy and Jones had been playing shows together for a while, but they really hadn't recorded anything together. That was owed to the two being on different labels. Uh, and obviously of George being on and off the wagon and not always reliable. But he broke his contract at a fairly significant expense so that he could sign with Tammy's label, Epic. In 1974, the two released their first duet album, We Go Together. Having the two record together was a trickier proposition than you might actually think. For starters, Tammy's producer Cheryl and partner Glenn Sutton were purveyors of the countrypolitan sound we talked about earlier, a smooth mashup of country and pop that was popular in the 60s and 70s. That wasn't really the style that Jones preferred, and Cheryl said he didn't know how things would work. Quote, I was scared to death. I was scared of him. He said he was scared of me, though, Cheryl said. Mm. The songs would have a little honky-tonk edge, but did veer into some of the smoother sounds that uh, Cheryl preferred, though Jones said he expected more of a hardcore country sound as the two got to know a little uh, each other a little better as time went on. Now, Cheryl got Jones to sing in the lower part of his register because he found the high-pitched delivery of Jones's early hits to be, quote, kind of annoying. Hmm. And if you think about it, think about George singing his later stuff like he stopped loving her today. It's that lower he said i love you till i die that almost growly thing but think about his early songs like white lightning where it's mighty mighty please and pappy's going squeeze and he's singing really really high nasally All so right. dj yeah as the as the your own words have described me as the quarterback <laughs> of this podcast yeah i'm going to tell you never <laughs> sing again <laughs> She's not gonna hold so, that up. I thought so. I, I thought, oh, she's she's gonna audible and play a play a George song. Nope. She's like, stop. Don't do that ever. Stop. No, no. There's only one song that either of us should sing, and that is our states, counties in alphabetical order, and that is right. just home. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Okay. No, note taken. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, but you but you see but you see the difference. The early stuff, Jones had that really high nasally delivery, and then after he worked with Cheryl, he was singing that more low growly tone that he became kind of you know popular and famous for. There was a problem though with actually having Jones and Tammy harmonize on their records. Quote, we started out trying to record the vocals together, but George drove Tammy crazy with his phrasing. He never ever did it the same way twice. He could make a five-syllable word out of church. <laughs> Finally, Tammy said, record George and let me listen to it and then do my vocal after we get his on tape. So that's how they did it. Hmm. Despite the fact that both continued to release their own material, the two put out six duet albums in four years. Wow. They were a glamour yeah. couple. They were essentially the royal family of country, and the fans ate it all up. Now that now, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't come back around until Garth and Trisha. There there have been a few over the years. Yeah, Garth and Trisha, Tim and Faith. Um, yeah, Tim and Faith. And I, I think there's I can think of a couple of other ones, but yeah, this this was, I mean, this is the biggest, uh, legitimately the biggest male star in the genre and the biggest female star in the genre, pretty much. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, 
marrying at the height of their popularity. Now, they did one album that was about religion and their faith called We Love to Sing About Jesus. And one was a sort of cutesy pie album that featured contributions from then eight-year-old daughter, Tina. The rest were filled with songs of new love, endearing love, and wedded bliss. Much as fans liked them, critics called some of the songs, quote, syrupy and overproduced. And one actually dubbed the material, quote, a Cliff Notes version of a Harlequin romance novel. <laughs> Critics did generally like the blending of Tammy and Jones's voices, however. The cover of each of the albums featured Tammy and George smiling. Now, that changed in 1973. Jones was off and on the wagon, and there is a sort of funny but also sort of sad story about Tammy not being able to find George until finally locating him in a nearby orange grove where he was sitting in a tree with a glass and a bottle of vodka making himself fresh screwdrivers. <laughs> wow just disappeared for like a couple of days and she found him sitting on a tree branch in an orange tree like making himself screwdrivers like he was sitting up there with a glass and a bottle of vodka wow according to tammy jones's heavy drinking turned him into quote a madman one who liked to play with guns and would become very violent and abusive daughter jackie said that they got uh into a lot of fight but she did note that her mother quote gave as good as she got in those instances. Now, Jones denies ever having beaten Tammy, I, I will point out. Uh, but in 1973, the two put out a duet album called We're Gonna Hold On. There was a stark difference visually and musically. The cover features pictures of the two overlaying one another, but with blank or sad expressions on their faces. And the tone was a little different too, as we'll see. This song doesn't come right out and say there's trouble in paradise, but maybe things are headed that way, which once again seems like a reflection of how their lives were going. This was the first duet between the two to hit number one. This is the country power couple George and Tammy with We're Gonna Hold On. We're gonna hold If you're right or wrong, 
I tell you, they had to apparently had to go to great lengths to actually harmonize in the studio, but I'd say it was worth it. it it's I was going to say that the harmony sound really good. And I mean, the thing is, she it feels like she does take the vocal lead in more spots than George does. Right. But all in all, it is a really good cohesive song. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that one. Um now, what led to the definitive end for Tammy and Jones is not exactly clear. He claims that he went out, got really drunk, didn't come home, and called her the next morning to apologize. He said that she called him every name in the book and told him he would never set foot in their house again. Quote, and I never did, he said. Tammy said the end came when Jones chased her through their house with a loaded gun. So, and I've heard it described as both a, a rifle and a shotgun, but a long gun of, of some kind. Uh, she says that's, that was the last straw. Whatever happened and however it actually played out, after six years, the most celebrated couple in country music was no more. The divorce was a tough thing for Tammy to deal with on a number of fronts. For starters, she felt like she was a failure and an embarrassment after going through a third divorce. She had been raised to believe you were supposed to be married once, and stay with that person until you died. She also feared that it would change the way that fans perceived her. She felt, in a sense, that she'd perhaps let them down. As much as fans ate up the idyllic romance that the two seemed to have, they equally ate up the drama of their nasty split. Tongues were likely wagging when, after the two uh, had broken up, they continued to tour together and released another album together. After they broke up under the circumstances I just explained to you. The album was Golden Ring, which eschewed the sugary sweet songs of perfect love that were featured on most of their duet albums. To be blunt, shit got very real on this album, which dealt with more traditional country themes of heartbreak. Critic Tom Jurek of All Music said the album was, quote, simply a classic. This is a set full of heartbreak songs accompanied by real heartbreak. Tammy had to live a song to sing it after all. And for the next 20 years of her life, she'd be singing a lot of sad ones. So we're going to stop right there. Uh, we'll have one more song that we'll get to in uh, just a moment. But we have another of our uh, discussion points. I like to throw in a little debate, a little ranking. Um, I think this is the rare case where I gave LD like too much notice. <laughs> like, so, like I told her so long ago that she forgot. Yeah. Look. When was it, like, November? Like, legitimately, November or December? Something like that, to the point where, like, I tried to go back on emails and text messages, and I couldn't find it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's, like, a sweet spot for me, which is, like, three days okay. beforehand. Because, like, so, if you give it more than a week, I'll forget about it. And if you do it right before the episode, I'll panic and just, like, throw anything together. Right. So, uh, so note to self: do not give uh, LD a month's notice on these lists because I think that's about what I did on this one. But three days is about right. Yeah. Three days is about right. It's kind of like we talked. We talked just now. Talked about the string of duet albums that George and Tammy put out. So, 
why don't we all rank our top 10 favorite male female duets and and it it does they do not have to be country this could this can span anywhere and my list goes all over the place <laughs> yeah mine is all over the board now should we do no i got i got um, i'm sorry you did not tell me male female um i have two females uh, that's fine uh, you know what at this point it's fine <laughs> hey at least i did the assignment it might not have been right but i did it but you but you at least did it it's better than the the effort you put forth uh, on any of the rick james episodes from last year <laughs> Hey, we're coming up with our top 10 favorite Rick James songs. You know, I, I have two. Super Freak. <laughs> it's Super Freak twice. Manchester United. <laughs> uh, Super Freak and that thing from Chef Aid. Next. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, who wants to go first on this one? Well, why don't we do like everyone do number 10, everyone do number nine? I'm not, I didn't rank mine. Oh, yours not ranked. I just, I just, okay. I mean, like, I know what my number one is, but like, other than that, it's like not really. Okay. Um. All right. We can we can do it that way, or we can do straight top ten. I don't care. Straight down. Just somebody tell me what to do. Who was okay. I? Uh, just just read your list, LD. All right. All right. For the first one, I've got "The Boy Is Mine" by Brandy and Monica. Okay. Good song. Uh, because Very I grew up and I freaking loved it. I thought it was such a fantastic song about like two women fighting over the same guy and then being like, "What? What are we doing? Like, he's gross." Uh, the second one is one that me and Mr. Thrill have done at karaoke before, and that's oh, Opposites yes. Attract by Paula Abdul and MC Scat Cat. That's always a fun one. Right. Or The Wild Ones. It's it's either MC yep. Scat Cat or The Wild Ones. It's But either in, in the music video, she's with a cat. Two steps forward. Yep. Uh, then I have Tell Him by Barbara Streisand and Celine Dion, which okay. is a fantastic... It's almost like the older generation explaining love to a younger generation, and it's awesome. It's from like 1997, 1998. If you haven't heard it, it's a beautiful song. Uh, someone that we're covering later in the next draft is Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, George mm. Michael and Elton John. Nice. Uh, I also have At the Beginning, Donna Lewis and Richard Marks from the feature film Anastasia, which is also 1997. That is a good one. And a fantastic song. The thing is, Donna Lewis is such an underrated singer. I think she only put out one album, which was Now in a Minute, but it's one of the most beautiful albums I have ever heard in my life. And it's the one, literally the one CD that I could put in a CD player and fall asleep to. Her voice is gorgeous. It's soothing. It's incredible. She did a couple um, soundtracks, and that was pretty much it. And if you guys don't know, she did the I Love You Always Forever. You know, I love you. Always forever near. Oh song. God, Silent World is so yeah. good. Then I have, to no one's shock, I've had the time of my life uh, by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warrens, who is shocked by me putting nobody dirty, dirty <laughs> dancing on my list. I have another Elton John song, which is "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" by Elton John and Kiki D. I have to honor our goddess, the great yep. Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers by yep. picking. Islands in the stream. I mean, I, can I just back up for one second? Uh, the the I had the time of my life. I think I think that literally, uh, Bill Medley could sing like the Surgeon General's warning off a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> and and you would know, be like, "Oh God, yes." These have been known to cause cancer. They cause emphysema. <laughs> in pregnant women, don't do it. Yeah. Low birth weight. 
You love. All right. And then I chose the song that my brother, we record this over Zoom. One day when we move, we'll have an actual studio and we'll go back to the good audio that we had in the beginning. But for now, we have to do this over Zoom. And so I was literally playing this song when my brother logged onto Zoom and he was like, what the hell are you listening to? And it's an incredible song called Time to Say Goodbye by Sarah Brightman and Andrea Bocelli. That followed us through Italy. It followed us through Italy. We we actually Mm -hmm. went every town that we went to. Either a band was playing it or the, the radio station that somebody was listening to as they walked down the street or it was in the taxi. It was the song that followed us on our honeymoon. And then I have, uh, well, the next two songs are pretty obvious. These are the only two that are ranked. It's my one and two. It is Barcelona yep. by Brady mm-hmm. and uh, I can't think of her name. Monsoat Cabele. Thank you. Yeah, Barcelona uh, used for the Barcelona Olympics, but he recorded it much earlier than that. It was just used for that. So he had actually passed away by the time the Barcelona uh, Olympics had happened. And then my number one of all time is, well, since it's the two artists, you'll forgive me for not having two, you know, having a male and a female. It's Queen and David Bowie with Under Pressure. Queen. Sure. As far as great duets, that's yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to top that. I, I, went, I went with straight duets. Sorry, just duets. Because here's my argument. Number one, that's what I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> number one, I don't follow directions well. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Number one. <laughs> but number two, like, there have been some incredible duets that I think there's, they're supposed to invoke one of two emotions absolute longing or absolute anger it's never truly love because there's either a longing or a separation that is happening so it's it's either you're fighting for something that you care about or you are fighting against something you hate right and so for me it never hits that moment of absolute love Mm. And that is what a duet is. A duet is about longing or intention or anger. Hmm. And so I feel like mine, uh, my list is indicative of that. Okay. Deep, man. I didn't do ponderous, any drugs man. beforehand. So totally ponderous. Suck it. All right. Uh, I, you, <laughs> funny, funny thing, uh, LD, not, uh, we didn't match one. <laughs> I, didn't have, really? I didn't have a single one of the ones you had. Oh, funny. I wonder if uh, Will has over, has, has... We will see. All right. I, I think Will and I are going to... I think we are going to intersect on at least a couple. But why don't, why don't you uh, read a short Will? I think I will. All right. So I actually have a lot of uh, soundtrack material on here. Okay, good. Not a surprise That's, here. That is LD approved. Uh, so we start with uh, my number 10, which comes from a Christmas film that I enjoy every year. And this year was bittersweet. It was the first year we've seen it without the captain at the helm, Richard Donner present on the planet that of course is scrooge and i gotta give it up to any lennox and al green put a yes. little in your heart i mean oh that's a girl i totally forgot about that one but i agree that's fantastic better, duet. which is better than the weird uh duet that she did with david bowie where she was basically eating his face that was very strange yes how yep. strange Annie but, lennox. Uh, i will year round be singing that song i'm not <laughs> kidding i love it so that's a uh, put a little love in your heart number 10 
number nine. I'm surprised, LD, you didn't bring this one up. Another classic. It was made famous by a film. I Got You, Babe. Uh, you know what? It was on my Sunny list. And Cher. But, but, yeah. but it was a little cliche. But it's cliche it's for a, a reason. It's a little cliche as far as duets go. And I felt like I already filled up, you know, my like passing quota. Okay. But like, yeah, no, it's just, I love it and it's great. But you only chose it because it's in Groundhog Day. Look, if that makes me a bad person, I don't want to be good. <laughs> Your two songs that you've selected so. so far are both Bill Murray movies, oh. which you forced me to watch. Oh, it gets better. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so my next one, which will clock in at number eight, I think, uh, TJ, we may have an intersection here. Nixon Henley, Leather and Lace. No. Oh, wow. wow. I don't have that one. Woo! Okay. Wow. Well, I know LD is a big fan of Stevie Nicks. I am. Um, Don Henley. I mean great duet i just awesome. know it is terrific sure uh following that up with a, another one uh this one actually not from a film no i'm sorry i jumped ahead there so i'll go to my number seven and this is when i fall in love celine dion and clive griffin not pivo bryson oh, i'm getting there oh i'm getting there you hold on that to song is actually from sleepless in seattle when i fall in love is it yes that version yes i did not know that it's from sleepless in seattle okay so i'm sticking with the movie thing <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great version. It's been done many times, but that's one that stands out in my mind. Yes. Uh, number six, we have, uh, this is a duet that was made possible by the Miracles of Modern Technology. It was Natalie Cole oh, and, and Nat, Nat King. King Cole. Unforgettable. Yeah, so Unforgettable. good. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that is terrific. What, there, was a, there was a weird little trend of um, stars singing with their dead fathers for a while there. Yeah. Because that's I the think... same time, about the same time that, hank and hank jr's tear in my beer came out i think yeah and then i think somewhere around i mean like maybe five to ten years later but kelly osborne did changes with her dad so yes she did you're right so there is that that moment of like passing down the mantle yeah Yeah. but uh, as far as those goes i mean unforgettable is i think the the watershed moment i think it's just sure going into my top five here i guess you're right i didn't know that actually yeah interesting Top five here. We're going to start off with a, a just a banger from the 80s. I don't know how this one got overlooked. Aretha Franklin and George Michael, I Knew You Were Waiting. That's <laughs> on my list. That's on my list. I knew you were waiting. Yeah. I didn't forget about it, sir. It's so good. It is awesome. That's my number five. Uh, number four, we're going to loop back around to something nice and tender, topical from the previous Michael Jackson series. We have the lovely and talented Diana Ross with Lionel Richie, Endless Love. Very good song. Great song. Very good song. Hang Great on, song. I guarantee you that's in the movie. They probably all are. And my next one <laughs> definitely is. Uh-huh. Um, and that is, of course, Celine Dion, Peebo, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Oh, not Peebo. Of Why course, Peebo. Peebo. Peebo's a yeah. South Carolinian. I don't think you guys Peebo understand. from our home state of South Carolina. I don't think you guys but, understand uh, what I have to deal with when it comes to William Hickey and Peebo Bryson. <laughs> but I think it is it is it is Jensen Ackles level of love Peebo! for Peebo Bryson. And he will he will never he's never right. But if there's any kind of like kitschy 1980s <clears throat> sounding song that has a male vocal and he'll just go, is that Peebo? I can hope. Uh, anyway, of all the out of character performances from a Disney movie, that I think is among the best do we just do we agree on that yes it's just stellar yeah number two and i believe tj you and i will cross once again patty Smythe, don henley 
Yeah. Sometimes love just ain't enough. If Absolutely. A song that is pure bottled heartache. I think that's it. That is. I mean, oh man, what yeah. a! It's a great song, but what? How gooding? Yeah, it's it's wrenching. Oh, it's beautiful. And then I'm gonna round it out with a duet that has been with me my entire life, no exaggeration. And that is, of course, Carol King, James Taylor. You've got a friend. Mm. Right one. That's a terrific one. And I do believe that you actually danced with your mother at our wedding to that song. Well, it was appropriate because again, she sang it to me when I was when I was a baby. So very nice, very good list, and and, and only a couple of intersections. That's so, yeah, interesting. I thought we'd have, um, especially leather and lace. I thought we were gonna overlap there. Well, I think I, I would normally have put it on there, but I thought ah, I've got I've got one Henley and I've got another song featuring Stevie. Um, so I, I think I just left that one off just for that reason. Okay. And then just I, I would like somebody to pit me and tell me what a good girl I was for really not choosing any musicals because I could have sunk you all. You could have, though. I could have compiled that list specifically with Broadway musicals in mind, including the song that goes like this from Spamalot. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, okay. your list. Uh, yeah, okay. So a uh, quick honorable mention for mine. I'm going to throw in Eric Clapton and Marcy Levy with the core uh, from his Slow Hand album. I, oh, that's may, right. Maybe I'm jumping the gun, but I can't believe that nobody's picked uh, John Cougar Mellencamp and Michelle and Daggio Cello. Is it surprising no one picked that one? With my, I, I, I actually thought about it. And in fact, I thought about it for another exercise we're going to do for another episode. At okay. Some okay, fine. All right, then. Um, but I, the, the core by uh, Eric Clapton and Marcy Levy, and A, it's a great song and I really like it, but it also allows me to work in one more fun fact. Fun, fun fact. fact! Marcy Levy uh, joined forces in the 19, I think late 80s, early 90s, uh, with Siobhan Fahey from Bananarama to form the duet Shakespeare's Sister. Oh, oh wow. Gosh, right. huh. Huh. Who had a big hit with Stay, as you recall. Mm-hmm. Um, number 10, I actually have Garth and Tricia with In Another's Eyes. Okay, good, good choice. choice. Uh, it's, first of all, it's a really well-written song, but I, their voices just, just meld so beautifully on that, on that song. And Tricia just absolutely wails. That he's able to keep up really tells you something about him. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Because I mean, Trisha can sing, sing. Yeah. I mean, Garth's a good Garth's a good singer. Trisha is like, whoa. Yeah. Um, number nine. This isn't the greatest song, but I love the two people who do it so much. I put it on my list: "Surrender" by Robin Zander and Ann Wilson. Oh my god, I never even thought about that one. And I, I think was that on the Tequila Sunrise soundtrack? I want to say yes. I think that's correct. But it's Robin. It's it's basically heart and cheap trick. Essentially, <laughs> so, like, yeah. How could I not pick that one? Um, number eight, I'm going to go with Johnny and June's Jackson, okay. which is just a, that song just pops. And they're again, their voices meld very well. Uh, but it's, it's just that's just a great song. It's a good one. Yeah. Number seven, I have Closed My Eyes Forever by Ozzy and Lita. Oh, that was that was like my number 11. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a really good song. A big, you know, a big metal ballad. I, I do want to say, though, aside from maybe Dave Mustaine in um, uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy and Rick James in Party All the Time, mm. I don't think there's ever been anybody in a music video as clearly raging on a cocaine bender as Ozzy was. <laughs> no, he was utterly high, yeah. He was, he was out. He almost looks like they had to prop him up, to be honest with you. He was so, he was so fried. But I, anyway. I scratched that at the last minute. I was like, I ha- something's got to go, and that's what went. Oh. And and it it even has the the classic cheesy '80s tropes, like 
Lita with the one headphone ear pressed up to her ear, <laughs> singing in the studio. Great stuff. Number six is actually where I put uh, Knew You Were Waiting for Me by George and Aretha. But you, know, you already picked that one. The mountain was high. I still believe. Oh. I, I would join you, but I've, I've been barred from singing anymore. So. That's true. Our, our fearless okay, leader. Here, is... Let me fix this. No one can sing because uh, we, all, we all sound like crap. We want people to come back and listen to this podcast. We don't want people to run away in abject terror, screaming and pulling their own eardrums out. We want people to stick around. So, all right, no singing, no singing. Uh, okay. I am I, Captain Von Trapp because kids, nobody's singing. Okay, number five is a song we actually just heard a few minutes ago. Uh, George and Tammy, we're going to hold on. I, I just really like whether their voices blend on that. <laughs> Uh, number four, Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn with Louisiana Woman, Mississippi Man. Oh, good one. Uh, that's a, which is a, a terrific duet. And it, Con, uh, another, I guess, I guess this is another fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. I'm related to Conway Twitty. Okay. Was. I mean, he's, he's passed away. I, I was. <laughs> Do people know that we're like, like how me and you are brother and sister? I don't know, because it'd be weird for you to say I'm, Con, you know, you're related to Conway Twitty, but I'm not. You are not. No, we we are half siblings, yeah. but we were raised in the same house, and we consider one another full sibling. We hate each other as much as any brother and sister. Exactly. Um, That's why we have a podcast together. Right, but his for those who don't know, Conway Twitty's real name was Harold Lloyd Jenkins. Oh, interesting. Hmm. And legitimately, really, I, I'm a distant relative. Not not any sort of close, but I'm I would legitimately was a distant relative of Conway Twitty. Huh. He's related to the Jenkins family of Union, South Carolina, somehow. There you go. Number three, I've got Ashford and Simpson solid. Oh, dude, that's such a good song. No. I'm sorry. No. No singing. And I think, I think Ashford is from South Carolina. I might be wrong on that. I think he's from the crib. I think he is. Right. You're not going to check, so I'm just going to say he is. Uh, <laughs> number two, I've got sometimes love to say enough. Yep, it's great. Uh, great, great song. Gut, like I said, gutting. When there's no way home and it's late at night and you're all alone, or there are things that you wanted to say, and do you feel me beside you in your bed? There beside you where I used to lay. Damn, Patty. If that doesn't hurt you, you have no soul. Then I, right. Then I, then you've never been in a relationship. You've never been dumped. Certainly. You haven't lived. That is, yeah, that is just, oh man, what a great, and their, their, their voices blend so terrifically. They trade off in exactly the right spots. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's really more a Patty song than it is Don, but it, you can't overlook what he adds to it. So that's, that's right up there. And then number one for me, I've got Stop Dragging My Heart Around by Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. You know what? I'm not shocked at that. Not at all. Nope. That's for some well, reason. First of all, it's a banger of a song. It, yeah. It's fantastic. I love Tom Petty. I love Stevie Nicks. That's that's really one of only about two songs they recorded together. I know, Will, you're a big fan of the other one, Insider. But uh, yeah, that's just that's just a great song. I, 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 I just it, it's number one because it rocks and I love it. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, that's our list. Um, and, oh, and by the way, LD, real quick, having listened to part one of this episode and thought about it, you know how you say, "Oh, up, oh, I'm gonna get some hate mail on this one." Yep. Oop, I'm gonna get some hate mail. We might get some over none of us mentioning Emmy Lou Harris for our um, Mount Rushmore of country women. Yeah. 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 And we probably deserve it. Which one of the old team Mount Rushmore is like 46 people. So we can always yeah, add Yeah, we can yeah. always. It's a, really, room, it's a yeah. big mountain and we got plenty of dynamite. <laughs> All right. Anyway, wait a minute. Cool. That was a fun exercise. Enjoyed that.
Absolutely. One day I'll learn. All right. <laughs> are, are, is that that it? That's the episode? That's the whole thing? That's that. Yep, yep. Okay. So I will give out the socials. We'll say goodnight, and then TJ can wrap up. So if you think we're doing a great job, and after this episode, why wouldn't you? Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. Maybe now's the time, guys. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's your New Year's resolution to just give podcasters money. Uh, you know, we're, we're here to help facilitate that. Especially uh, if we uh, promise to not sing more. Uh, yeah. Does that help? Yeah. I think that's extortion, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> we, we will not sing if you give us money. If not, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> all right you can also find us on twitter at rock and roll lt our instagram rock and roll heaven lt facebook rock and roll heaven pod and uh, if you guys keep up with our facebook page that's actually where we post like the most up-to-date information on people who have passed as it comes in because uh, we are recording our episodes a little bit ahead of time right now and so of course like mentioning uh sad frosty you know, with, that this has already happened this is, this is weeks old by this point so uh, just keep up with us on our Facebook page and we will be posting any news that comes across our desks. And I'm still not saying our website and you can email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com and you can check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. If I said everything too fast, don't worry, that is in the show notes. Also, you can still get an amazing deal on Tiesta T, hmm. which is if you go to tiestat.com and put in the code rockheaven 15 you will get 15% off your entire order at checkout. So live loose, guys. Try Tiesta Tea. We actually are obsessed with it. I have purchased at this point, I think, four or five tens. I sent uh, TJ two some more so he could try it out, and he likes it. So I'm getting my whole family hooked on this stuff. And uh, they also have a really cool tool called the Brewmaster, which I adore. So uh, go to tiestatea.com. And put in Rock Heaven 15 at checkout. That information will also be in the show notes as well. Um, so I guess I will take the time to say good night. Mr. Will the Thrill, do you have anything that you would like to say to the audience? I was going to sing it, but I've been forbidden. So I will just oh, wish you a fond farewell. Guys, Jesus, you're acting like I kicked a puffy. Lord. Good night, all. <laughs> all right. Travis, I would like to turn it over to you again, but before I do, just make sure, guys, that you check us out next week when we finish up our series on the great, the golden, Cammy Wynette. Absolutely. So uh, I'll start off by saying, bye, everybody, and then I will say, we're going to sign off from Rock and Roll Heaven tonight with a classic from Tammy Wynette and George Jones. This is a song whose message of heartbreak is somewhat masked by the upbeat delivery. Listen to the words, though, and you'll know what's really happening in the song and uh, had happened with the possum and the first lady in real life. This is Golden Ring. In a pawn shop in Chicago On a sunny summer day Couple gazes at the wedding rings their own display. She smiles and nods her head as he says, Honey, that's for you. It's not much, but it's the best that I can do. Golden rain, golden rain, with one tiny little stone. Just a cold metallic thing 
Happy thoughts run through her head As he whispers low with this ring I be wed Golden ring Golden ring With one tiny She says one thing's for certain, I don't love you anymore, and throws down the ring as she walks out the door. Golden ring, with one tiny Shop in Chicago on a sunny summer day. A couple gazes at the wedding rings their own display. Golden It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 